Ecclesiastes chapter 8, if you'll turn there. And let me just begin by reading it for us. Uh, we're going to just cover a few of the first uh, part of this chapter today. Uh, may or may not get through the rest of the chapter. Um, we come back to it. Um, we'll at least get another third or so of the way through next time. But let me just read down through verse 9. Uh, Solomon continues and writes here, uh, chapter 8, verse 1, Who is like the wise man, and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases." Since the word of the king is authoritative, who will say to him, what are you doing? He who keeps a royal command experiences no trouble, for a wise heart knows the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every delight, though a man's trouble is heavy upon him. If no one knows what will happen, who can tell him when it will happen? No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. And there is no discharge in the time of war and evil will not deliver those who practice it. All this I have seen and applied my mind to every deed that has been done under the sun, wherein a man has exercised authority over another man to his hurt." Once again, Solomon deals with an area of our lives that is unavoidable um, and that can be extremely frustrating at times, namely the issue of authority. Uh, Now, most of us would agree that virtually every form of authority is being challenged uh, today in our culture. Uh, John Stott says, quote, anything which savors of establishment is being scrutinized and opposed, end quote. There is hardly a a level of authority that doesn't have someone or something attacking it. Uh, The authority in the marriage relationship being undermined by uh, both feminist agenda as well as the homosexual agenda. Authority in the family being challenged by ungodly and undisciplined children. Authority in the state uh, being uh, questioned and challenged as hatred towards police officers ex- escalates and communities uh, protest court decisions. Authority in the workplace with labor unions striking against the management and terminated employees using or suing, should say, their employers even when they have been justly fired or released. Uh, authority in the schools with disgruntled teachers striking out against the school boards and students lashing out against their teachers and uh, football players intentionally running over officials, right? We see, we see this all around us in, in the world today, especially in, in our nation. In fact, this may be the single most eroding influence in our nation. We're seeing it more and more protesting Uh, Anti-establishment demonstrations, sit-ins, picketing, rioting, rebellion, uh, anti-authority is the blood that flows through the culture's veins. Well, King Solomon knew and understood this issue of authority. He, He describes what authority is and how to respond to it with divine insight. And so let's just, let's review for a minute. We've been We've been taking a, a tour, if you will, through the broken world that we have inherited. And our tour guide has been King Solomon, the third king of Israel and the son of, of David, who was the second king of Israel. And Solomon has been showing us the same ills, the same uh, maladies, the same injustices, the same problems that are as evident today as they were in his own time. And, I, and he's been teaching us, essentially, how to navigate through this, this life and through this world that is broken because of sin, this, this post-Genesis uh, 3 world. He's been teaching us how to walk in wisdom. So he's been combining both the supernatural wisdom that God gave to him to, to lead 
the nation when he was the, the king of Israel, as well as things he's observed, things he has come to know through, through research. He certainly had more, uh, more ability, more resources, more time, more liberty to investigate these things than uh, probably anyone else. Uh, and then combining that with his own personal experience. Uh, having made some serious mistakes in his own personal life and in his own leadership, then coming to the end of his life, pulling all of those things together and essentially sitting us down and saying, this is how to walk with wisdom. This is how to see life with rare objectivity, and and this is how to handle life with a a rare stability. This is how to see life with a God-centered perspective to walk carefully according to the truth so that we don't draw the wrong conclusions and make bad decisions. And the counsel that Solomon gives to us in these verses goes something like this. If you are wise, then you will understand submission to authority and you will live in light of that. And what he says isn't detached from what he's been saying um, and what, what he's been addressing going all the way back to chapter 6 and our discussion about what is good for a man during his lifetime. You remember Solomon poses that question, what is good for a man? Who knows what's good for a man? Who knows what's coming after a man's life? And the, and the obvious answer is only God does. Only God knows what's good for us. And only God knows what's coming. And so this discussion that Solomon gets into in chapter 8 uh, is a part of that larger discussion and, and, if you will, an answer to that question, what is good for a man. It's also this, what Solomon covers here is not, uh, certainly not detached from the discussion that we had in chapter 7 about our abuse at times of wisdom when we try to turn God's general principles into absolute principles. So we take God's uh, proverbial wisdom, His proverbial principles, and we make those things so absolute that we try to, in a sense, put God into a corner. And, and, we, and we begin to take God's wisdom and in a very strange, in a very wicked way, we, we attempt to, to control our future, to, to somehow uh, protect ourselves against adversity and to obligate God to give us perpetual prosperity. And we talked about that, how, how we do that at times, right? God tells us that uh, if you disobey Him in these areas, that you will be judged. If you do what is right, then you will be blessed. And, and we take those general principles, and then we somehow think that if we are just righteous enough in our lives as Christians, that we can somehow uh, control God, that we can somehow back God into a, con- a corner and force Him to give us perpetual blessing. Or that if we avoid certain things in our lives, that then God is obligated to not ever bring adversity. So this definitely ties into that. In fact, in chapter 8, Solomon actually provides for us another example of how people try to guarantee that they will experience a pain-free, trial-free life, and that is in the way that they deal with authority, right? So what do they do? Well, they, they try to get out from under it, right? So they want this pain-free life. They want their comfort. They, they, want their, they want what they want. And when someone in authority stands in the way of what they want, then they, they resist it, right? They, they chafe against it. They try to remove themselves from it, or in some cases, they try to change the people that are over them, right? And they do that in sometimes very deceitful and dishonest and manipulative ways. But the reality is, Two things. One, Solomon says, there's no such thing as perfect human authority. And there is no, if you will, there is no perfect government. And B, there is a tendency in every human heart to rage every time providence gets in the way of our idolatrous comforts. There's always a temptation in our hearts to do that. That when God's providence, the things that God is orchestrated in our lives, the people that God has placed over us in life as authorities, when those people get in the way of what we want, then we rage. And that is what Solomon is putting his finger on. The idea that when someone interferes with my life, 
The idea that when, when someone or something interferes with my pursuit of happiness, when someone interferes with my attempt to earn money, when someone, attempt, when someone interferes with what I perceive is a human right to protect myself, that I don't have to submit to them. That I don't have to accept that they are a legitimate authority or a legitimate government. And that I actually have a God-given right to rebel. That's what Solomon is dealing with. Solomon is dealing with that innate tendency of sinners to shake their fists at a human authority because of its flaws. But think about that. Think about what that reveals when we do that. Think about what that reveals about our view of finding satisfaction in a sin-cursed world. That in order to be satisfied, in order to find lasting contentment and satisfaction, that we have to have a person over us that does the right thing. I mean, that's basically what we're saying is that we can't be satisfied when there are people that are over us in authority that have flaws and that are selfish and that sin and that abuse their authority. So think about how that, what that reveals about our view of satisfaction. Raging against human authority and thinking that if we can just fix it, if we could just fix this human authority, then we will find prosperity and satisfaction. And then we will be able to protect ourselves against adversity. So again, it's, it's all about changing what? We tell people this all the time. You can't change other people, but you can't change your circumstances, Right. I mean, you need to be taking care of this right right here. I mean, you're, you're the members of your body, your spirit, your heart, your thinking, your beliefs, your convictions, your perspective, the things you love, the things you fear, the things you pursue, the things you run from. I mean, those are the things that you're responsible for. But you can't change these other things. And yet we all struggle with it, right? When we have a God-given authority that's over us, that's imperfect, we begin to get upset. And we rage and we begin to think that if that circumstance or that person would just do right, if they would just change, then we could find satisfaction. Then we could find comfort. Then we could have what we want and we could avoid, avoid this whole adversity thing, right? Or think about this question. When you rage against human authority, who are you really raging against, <laughs> right? Who are, you, who are you really raging against? And, of course, all of Solomon's counsel in chapter 8 lines up with what, what the New Testament will say about our relationship to human authorities and, and governing authorities. But here, Solomon puts his finger on the heart issue of why we rage <clears throat> and why we complain and why we resist authority. Because we are idolatrous. We are idolatrous. And we really believe that if we righted the wrong there would be more happiness, more satisfaction, and more comfort for us. And Solomon says, that, that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So regarding this issue of authority, what is good for a man? If we go back and we kind of grab that question in, Rome, in Ecclesiastes 6. What is good for a man uh, all the days of his feudal life? Or we might say, what is the wise response to human authority? And the simple answer is... Submit to it. <laughs> Submit to it. Or obey the government. <laughs> That's the simple answer. Submit to it. Obey it. Right? Because authority is both good and necessary. Right? It's both good and necessary. And life as a rebel isn't all that it's cracked up to be. If you don't believe that, you just go read the book of Judges. Right? Uh, and you can read through that book and you can note what happens when there is no king and how awful things get when every man does what is right, how? In his own eyes. You, you can find out what it's like to live in a culture where there is no uh, God-appointed leader and when people are just doing what they want to do. They, they see themselves as the authority. Everybody is their own authority. We use this term autonomous, Right. They're, 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 they're the governor, they're the, the leader of themselves. Nobody else tells them what to do. You'll find in Judges that when there is no authority, that worship becomes self-contrived, that worship becomes very 
very individualistic and privatized, that parents give up on teaching their children, that sexual perversity becomes the norm, and personal revenge dominates leaders in leadership. So Judges, in that sense, is an, is an ugly book. It's an ugly book because it's about, it's about moral anarchy. It's about civil anarchy. It's what happens when there is no godly, wise, stable, God-appointed authority. So, so I get it. You're frustrated with those in authority. How, how many of you would say you, you, you may be as frustrated today with authority as you have ever been, especially when you're talking about our, 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 our government, what's been going on in recent months? I mean, I sense, at least in the conversations I'm having, that the, 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 the frustration level is just, it's escalating. I mean, on every front, right? And I understand that. You're frustrated with that. And again, it's not just the government. It could be your parents. It could be your teachers. It could be your husband. It could be your supervisor. But here's the thing. Your anti-authority attitude is also frustrating. So... I understand you're frustrated with authority, but your anti-authority attitude is also frustrating. And, and one of the reasons that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes is to help you to reduce the frustration of sinful living. To help, to help you reduce frustration by living wisely. And in these verses, the foolish and frustration-increasing attitude that Solomon wants you to throw overboard is your attitude of resenting authority. Solomon wants to teach you, and he wants to teach me, to replace this sinful attitude with a willingness to submit to authority. Now, in verse 1, Solomon draws us into this discussion like, uh, like an advertisement. He says there, who is like the wise man and who knows the interpretation of a matter? A man's wisdom illumines him and causes his stern face to beam. Here wisdom is said to make a face shine and to take away the, the hardness of a person's expression. How is that? Well, a person is, is happy. He is assured in life because as a result of his wisdom... He knows the interpretation of a matter, or you might say the meaning of a matter, or the meaning of a thing. So the wise person has become, we might say, well-versed in biblical truth and is able to interpret what is going on around him from God's perspective, which makes a huge difference, right? Not having to wander through this world ignorant of the processes at work. You see, a wise man can, can size up a situation properly and then act accordingly. In fact, we could define wisdom as living life in light of God's revelation, which is so critical. But the reality is, when you read this, it's as if, the, as if Solomon's saying, this person is rare, <laughs> okay? Uh, these, the peop, people that are living wisely are not just falling off the trees, right? The truly wise person is rare, and most people don't understand the meaning of life because they are void of the Spirit of God, because they care nothing for what the Bible has to say, and they're trying to figure out life experiences on their own. It reminds me of of how one of our neighbors responded years, years, several years ago. We lived here in, in Woodstock. We we knocked on a person's uh, uh, the the door of a home. We were giving out just copies of of the scriptures to our neighbors. And this one particular family, when we knocked on the door, were in the middle of a family crisis. And uh, and as they put it, they said it wasn't a good time. <laughs> and and what they didn't know is that we were giving them the very thing that could have helped them. I mean, that was the, that was the, the irony of it is that we were saying. <laughs> They're saying, it's not a good time to talk to you guys. We don't need a Bible. We, we've got, we've got, we've got a, a crisis going on. Right? <laughs> like, this, is, this is God's wisdom. How did you uh, I don't even remember. 
I, 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 I probably was a peacemaker. <laughs> I probably didn't um, push my way into that. We, we may have left. I'm not I'm sure if we ended up leaving. I'm, pr- I'm pretty confident they did not receive it and we just went on to the next house. But as believers in the Lord Jesus, we have the opportunity. We have the privilege of understanding life because in the scriptures we have the mind of Christ. And as children of God, we have his spirit who can remove our prejudices and remove our biases, who gives us spiritual understanding, Paul says in Corinthians, and enables us to appreciate the meaning of scripture and to apply its truth. And one of the things that the spirit of God helps us to understand and to value is this matter of authority. That is to say, wisdom understands the reality and the concept of authority in the world. So, who is wise? The guy whose face beams and shines. The guy or the gal whose face is radiant. The guy whose fierce and stern and hard face is is literally transformed whose face now beams with contentment and peace because of what? Because of his wisdom. Because he has stopped being sinfully foolish. And if that is what you want, if you want that, that stressed out, that frustrated, that angry face to be changed, if, if you want that glow of contentment in your face, Solomon says if you, if you want to reap wisdom's joyful rewards, then embrace what I'm going to teach you in the following verses. And if you'll listen, and if you'll apply what I'm about to tell you, then your face can go from hard to radiant. So what is the wisdom? Verse 2, I say, keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. This is about the wisdom of respecting and submitting to authority. Wisdom submits to God-given authority. And notice, he doesn't indicate if the king is a good leader or if the, if the king is a bad one, right? He doesn't indicate if... If, if the king's policies are favorable to you and your family and the people that you care about, or if the king's policies are unfavorable to you and to your family and to those that you like. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But think, think about teenagers. Think about teenagers. Think about a teen's attitude towards their teachers and their parents. Isn't it true to a degree that a teenager's satisfaction in life basically revolves around how he or she relates to those two authorities? If they are relating to teachers and their parents well, there's peace and there's joy. But if not, there is hardness and frustration. But this this principle isn't just true for, for teens, right? It's true for adults as well. I mean, doesn't your attitude towards those in authority affect you in a similar way? Wives, what about your attitude toward your husband? Men, what about your attitude toward your government leaders? What about your attitude towards your elders in this church? What about your, your employer? And how is that affecting your countenance? Is it hard and stern Or is it radiant and joyful? But you say, Solomon, you don't know the the kind of of leader that I have to follow. (laughs) You don't understand. You don't understand the person that that you're asking me to respect and to acknowledge and to, 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 uh, to obey and to submit to. Well, true enough. Um. But Solomon doesn't have them sitting in front of him in his counseling office, right? He doesn't have your leader in front of him counseling your leader. He has you in front of him, and he's counseling you, and this is what he has to say to you. 
that satisfied and joyful people are usually those who are submitting to the authorities that the Lord has put in their life. Now, because this idea of submitting to authority runs against every natural sinful inclination in the human heart, Solomon opens this instruction by giving us three reasons to submit to the human authorities in our lives. So we're going to walk through these and then we'll, we'll pick up uh, next time in verse 5. So we're just going to look at the first few verses here. Three reasons to submit to human authorities in our lives. Reason number one, divine accountability. Divine accountability. Notice again what he says in verse 2. Keep the command of the king because of the oath before God. Now, the, the, grant, the grammatical construction here is somewhat ambiguous. Uh, it could refer to an oath that God takes or gives himself. If you have the ESV, it somewhat reads that way. It could also refer to an oath characterized by God or an oath taken to God. That would be the New King James translation. Or it could refer to an oath taken or that a person takes before God. This is the way the NIV as well as the New American Standard uh, translates this particular phrase. And, and, and I, I go with, what the, with that particular translation, the New American Standard, uh, this, that this is referring to an oath taken before God. I think what Solomon is, is doing here is he's exhorting people to be faithful in their sworn allegiance to their king, to their human king. Now, now some, some commentators go, they, they actually think that what Solomon's talking about is God the king who's made an oath, and that this is actually referring to, to God's covenant with Solomon's household or David's household. There's lots of different ways that commentators go, but I think he's, I think the context of these verses is the king's court. Uh, there would have been servants, ministers, officials, and others who would have been in the entourage of the court surrounding the king. It would have been very typical in the ancient Near East for servants and advisors of the king to take an oath of loyalty uh, in obedience to the king. We actually see examples of this in the Old Testament. So the ministers of the king had taken an oath and a promise, I believe, before God to support and to back and obey the king. And in that context, Solomon says to submit to the human authority over you because of your accountability before God. That is to say, keep your word. Keep your word. You swore before God to obey the king. Now do it. Follow through. A parallels today for us might be the soldier's oath to his country, uh, or perhaps an example in the, in, the, in the family life would be that of a, of a wife's commitment before God in a marriage ceremony to love and to, to submit to her husband. But even if you haven't made some such oath, you're still accountable, right? I mean, you're still accountable to submit to governing authorities and to leaders, God's appointed leaders. If you want to turn over to the New Testament, Titus chapter 3, verse 1, I think, makes this clear. And there are other, other passages uh, that do the same. But in Titus chapter 3, verse 1, you remember this is Paul writing to Titus. Titus is, has been left behind on the island of Crete to, to appoint elders in the churches, to establish and strengthen the churches in Crete. And he tells Titus this in Titus 3.1, remind them, he tells Titus to remind them, remind believers, these Christians, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. So he says, Titus, you're, you're to remind, remind believers to do these three things. One, to be submissive to governing authorities. It's this, this word, uh, it's a very common word in the New Testament that means to arrange under or to order yourself under. It was a military term that described the ranks of soldiers arranging themselves under the leadership of their commander. He had already used this term back in, in chapter 2, verse 5, and in chapter 2, verse 9, when speaking to wives uh, in relation to their husbands and slaves in relation to their masters. But here, 
Paul makes the point that submission isn't just uh, ju- just uh, for for the few, right? It isn't the lot of just a few, but every one of us lives under authority and must learn to practice submission. And who does Paul say that Christians should be submissive to? Well, he says these. He uses two terms: rulers and authorities, which those two terms used again together, sort of coupled together over in, over in Romans chapter 13, verse 3, a text that also speaks about how believers should respond and relate to their civil authorities. So we must learn to honor those in authority, even if we don't find them agreeable. In fact, Brian Chappell says this, quote, we must submit to the authority God places in our lives, even if that authority rebukes us. If Christians routinely operate in the mode of respecting only the authority with which they agree or that does not trouble them, then the minister of the gospel who must correct, rebuke, and exhort will soon have no authority. So we are to submit to governing authorities. And he says we are to be obedient to governing authorities. In other words, he puts these things together and says this, To live in submission to governing authorities is to live in obedience to governing authorities. (laughs) So he just said these these are, they go together. You can't separate these things. You submit, you obey. So we respect the government. Uh, We participate in this level of the social structure as far as possible according to the rules of society. And we do what the system requires because of, because subjection to the state, that is, it adherence to and the recognition of this institution, means obeying the rules. And not just obeying the rules, but actively expressing our Christian life by doing good. Notice he says that we're also to be prepared for good deeds, which, which, which is a... Um, this verb to be, is, is, it's a present tense. It, it points to this lifestyle, this ongoing lifestyle of, of readiness for every good deed. This is the attitude of the respectful, loyal citizen. That is to say, socially responsible behavior is a tangible and observable manifestation and expression of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers to the world. So Paul tells Titus, remind them to be ready to stand at constant preparedness to undertake any and every good deed, ready to perform whatever good deed might be called for in any given circumstance, displaying consistent, aggressive goodness, not simply to those who are of the household of faith, but also to those who are of this world. Yes. Yeah, we're we're getting we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there because in verse five we won't get there today. But he talks about this procedure, this proper time. This is part of wisdom. I mean, this is part of wisdom is that we have these principles, but in our context especially, there's a lot of latitude, right? More than in most cultures. I mean, there would be certain cultures where no, you wouldn't have that opportunity <laughs> to say I have another idea. <laughs> and I think in this context, he's just saying yes, you. You submit. I mean, you do what you're told. Now, again, we'll talk about the exceptions to that. I mean, it's not just a blind obedience. But in our culture, there's a lot of wisdom needed to know how to carry out certain things, right? Because sometimes we're told what to do, but the timing of when we're told to do it and the how, the way in which we do it is a lot, a lot of times there's some, there's some wiggle room there. And to know how to do it and when to do it, we have, we have to have God's wisdom to, to know that. The hard issue here is when you're asked to do something, do you rage <laughs> or do, is your immediate reaction to say, this is God's appointed authority over me? <laughs> so what can I do to comply? And sometimes I think that the, we don't have that thought. <laughs> 
our first thought is, why do, why do I have to do that? What a stupid thing. I mean, who came up with that law? Who came up with that rule? And we just immediately start questioning and raging. And again, the question comes, raging against who? Because throughout the whole book of Ecclesiastes, we've seen time and time again, God is the one who's, who does all these things, right? I mean, and there's a mystery to it. Why does God delay judgment in some people's lives? And why does he not bless the righteous more than he does? And it seems to us, what does come after him? Only God knows these things. And we don't know what's going to come. One of the mysteries is we don't know what's going to come from our submission. We don't know what's coming later, right? And so we're thinking, manipulate. <laughs> you, we got to somehow get this where we want it to protect and guard what we selfishly want in many cases, not even understanding because it's not, it's not open to us to know that if we were to be submissive and glad, gladfully submissive in our hearts to authorities without violating Scripture in our, in our conscience, but if we were to do that, what would God do through our submission? That's part of the... Righteous justification. What's that? Do you not see this righteous justification? That you, want, you, you are oppressing or going against right, what authority is saying because it's not righteous. And so therefore, you're being... Yeah, I think we use that excuse a lot. <laughs> I'm just saying, yes, there is a there is a there is a form of resistance to authority that is appropriate and it's God honoring. But what's interesting about that is when you see people in Scripture for conscience sake and to be faithful to the truth, when they when they do resist authority, they gladly accept the adversity. Do you see the difference? Because I think the heart issue that he's touching on here is that what we tend to do is we tend, I think, to have resistant hearts. But if we could really see what was going on in our motives, we're actually protecting something, some idol, something, our position, our comfort, maybe even other people's opinion of us that they think that we're righteous. We want to appear righteous. I mean, some people go out that way, right? I mean, I want to be known as the guy that laid down on the tracks. I want to be the righteous guy. And I I think that what we have in our, again, in our culture, a lot of the decisions I think people make as Christians in in the name of standing for God or I'm not going to be a compromiser, I think they're just troublemakers. I mean, I would say 98% of them are troublemakers. I mean, I could be wrong. It could be 97%. (laughs) I just think that our culture, because we live in a, de- in a democracy, it's, we don't think this way. And we just assume we have right and inalienable rights, right, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, and we, we, we from, yeah, we're, I mean, we're coming up like, I mean, from little kid, this is just, we deserve, we deserve, we deserve. Who, who tells us? Who's going to tell us what to do? Get that guy out of there. We need to get another guy in there. And guess what? That guy, <laughs> he's evil too. I mean, and, and that's part of, that's where he'll go, right? He's going to go there because he's going to say, be careful about getting out from under authority and running away because when you run away, guess what you take with you? That anti-authority attitude. You just, it just goes with you. And if you take that leader out and you put, him, put another one in there, I mean, listen, democracies, monarchs, dictators, I'm just saying God is sovereign over all those things. This isn't an argument about what form. I mean, Solomon's not arguing for the most effective form of government here. That's not what this is about. He's just saying that in the most difficult, right? I mean, what, what's, the, what's the harder situation to, to be submissive in? The one where you're told, do it, and you feel like you don't have an opportunity to give a suggestion. And you feel that, uh, I just do it or else, right? And you know there's consequences coming. That's a tough situation. He's giving us that as the scenario and saying, in that situation, what should be your heart inclination to see authority as something that's God-given by God's design and for your good? So stop resisting. So we'll get to some of those exceptions. I know, I, knew, I realize that today I might just stir up more questions, uh, but we'll come back because some of these the text will answer later, and then some we'll just have to maybe discuss, you know, because there's a lot of... Yes, and that's part, that is part of the wisdom, though. 
the, the foundation stone of that wisdom is that we know, this is life in a fallen world. Hello, it's like this is not a surprise to us that men are going to use their authority in that way. And it's common. It's everywhere. And so stop trying to escape it and stop trying in your mind to think of how you can change that person or get out of that situation because you still are in a fallen world. Even when you move to a different place, you're taking your own sinful heart with you and you're just going to be under another flawed leader, right? So, Stott says we need... This is not just about being law-abiding citizens, but being public-spirited as well whenever we have the opportunity. So again, this is not grit your teeth and I'm only going to do what I have to do. Paul tells Titus, remind them to be ready for good deeds. I mean, we're not just like, what do we have to do? The bare minimum. That's not not a Christian attitude. The Christian attitude is, I want to be involved. I want to bless others. I want to see... Authority is something that's God-designed, God-given. We, we need it and not be so proud and resistant to it. Another passage that would be helpful here is 1 Peter chapter 2, if you want to turn there, 1 Peter 2, 13. Also dealing with this issue of leadership and our role as Christians, he says in 1 Peter 2, 13, "...submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution." whether to a king as the one in authority or to... So the king, the one who has direct authority over you, or to governors, this would be people that are given delegated. The king gives to them, those men delegated authorities as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And he goes on to talk about servants. Be submissive to your, to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. The word can be translated perverse or, or crooked. So when Peter wrote those words, who was the leader of the Roman Empire? Most likely Emperor, Emperor Nero, right? This is the guy, that, 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 that wonderful, delightful guy that, that had his mother clubbed to death, right? That burned the city of Rome to the ground, that castrated and married a 12-year-old boy, that had Christians dipped in tar and set on fire to provide light for his garden parties. It's a great guy. That being the case, it seems that the good qualities of those in authority were not Peter's main concern. Doesn't talk about that. Same thing, just like Ecclesiastes. We're not talking about what kind of leader a, a person should be. Peter's main concern is the quality of a believer's submission. Because the scriptures say that when we submit to our authorities, we do that. Notice what he says back in, in, the, in verse uh, 13. For what? The Lord's sake. Or in other places, Ephesians, Colossians, as to the Lord or as to Christ, for this is right. What I would suggest to you is that in that oath or no oath, we have a God-given responsibility to submit to whatever human authority we are legitimately to be under. So why do we submit to human authority? Reason number one, divine accountability. Divine accountability. Let me give you just the second one and then we'll stop. The second one is inevitable reality, inevitable reality. Verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave him. Do not join in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases. So he says, do not be in a hurry to leave him, speaking of the king, which probably isn't Solomon's, Solomon simply warning a person against rushing out of the presence of the king. Uh, This isn't just about being disrespectful because he mentions something that would have been considered an outright rebellion, right? He probably has in mind something like this. Don't be in a hurry to resign from the king's service. But why would a person do such a thing? Well, maybe he feels underappreciated. Maybe he feels like that the king never asks for his advice or listens to his counsel. Maybe he is tired of saying, long live the king. (laughs) Maybe he's tired of doing that. 
Whatever the reason, Solomon's counsel is this. Don't leave one position for another because you have, because you have trouble submitting to authority. Don't leave one position for another because you have trouble submitting to authority. And again, we, the reason for that is because when you leave, you take your anti-authority attitude with you. You may find that you resent the next authority as much as you did the former one. So remember, Solomon says, being under authority is an inevitable reality. This is by God's design. Uh, Back in Ecclesiastes 6.10, Solomon wrote, Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is, speaking of God. So Solomon just says, listen, we are dust. God is in charge. God is sovereign over every dictatorship. He is sovereign over every democracy, and you cannot dispute with him and win. So Paul says in Romans 13, 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. So you submit to God as your ultimate authority because he is behind all kinds of human authorities. And be glad. Be glad as you submit. Because anarchy is an ugly alternative. So don't be in a hurry to leave that job. Don't be in a hurry to leave that team or that classroom or that marriage or that home situation. Maybe you should learn to stay and accept authority and work willingly under it. Stop kicking against it. Stop resisting it. So Solomon counsels us to submit to authority because of our divine accountability. Secondly, because authority is an inevitable reality. So, that, so we, need to get, essentially we need to get used to it, <laughs> right, and do it well. And thirdly, the certain penalty. I think we've got time to finish this out. A certain penalty. Do not join, he says, in an evil matter, for he will do whatever he pleases, since the word of the king is authoritative. Who will say to him, what are you doing? As we know from history, as, as well as biblical history, plots were common in the ancient royal courts. But when discovered, the king could do pretty much anything he wanted to punish the rebels. In most cases, he could punish any appearance of evil, any lack of submission, any lack of respect, any sign of disloyalty or disaffection or improprieties as he saw fit. That's why Proverbs sixteen fourteen says, The fury of a king is like messengers of death. Proverbs 19.12, the king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. Simply put, do what those in authority say because of the certain penalty of rebellion. Because when the consequences come, who is going to step in and stop them? So if you suffer, do so for being faithful to the Lord, for doing what is right. There may be a time, we understand this, that when obedience to earthly governing authorities and obedience to God will not be possible. For instance, in Daniel 6, right? Uh, the injunction by Darius prohibited prayer to, to any other god or man other than the king himself, and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, right, for being faithful to the Lord. We see it in Acts chapter 5 when the apostles were given strict orders not to continue teaching and preaching in the name of Christ. And they said, we must obey God rather than men. But if you do suffer for doing the right thing, then accept the adversity that comes while entrusting yourself to God. Don't try to get out from under authority as a way of protecting or fulfilling your idolatrous desires. And be careful about allowing the language of your... You know, our citizenship is in heaven. Right? So we got this dual thing going on. We're citizens of heaven, we have, but we're also citizens here. We have to be very careful, very careful about allowing the language of your spiritual citizenship to get wrapped in the red, white, and blue. Hello. Right? We have to be careful about this. We have to be on guard against a politicized faith that blurs our priorities and weakens our loyalties as a Christian. 
So be faithful to the Lord and to the gospel for sure, but have a reputation as a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. And your face will be radiant. He, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are those, Jesus said, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So listen, ask yourself, who are the happy co-workers in your office? Who are the happy kids in school? Who are the happy wives, the ones who are always scheming and complaining and manipulating and conniving, trying to gain control? No, (laughs) right? So how can you reduce your sin-induced frustration level in life? What skillful living will make your face to shine like a lamp in a dark room? The skill of humbly and gladly submitting to authority. Again, all of our troubles go back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Their rebellion frustrated the whole human race. And the results of your anti-authority attitude are pretty predictable. Sinful anger, high levels of frustration, stern face, turmoil, and trouble. If these things mark your life, you may want to examine your attitude towards the authorities that God has placed in your life. Do you want peace and joy in your life? Learn by the grace of Christ to be a skillful submitter to both God and men. That is the path of peaceful, godly wisdom. Right? So we'll stop there. It's tough stuff. In fact, I have a prediction. And the prediction is this, that our pastor, Pastor Shane, has slugged his way through Romans 1 talking about depravity. And he is slugging his way through chapters 3, 4, and 5 in justification by faith and, 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 and our, uh, our, our connection to, to Adam's sin and rebellion. He gets to chapter 6, slave of sin. And, and, and then he's in chapter 7 and he's, he's, he's wrestling through these issues of of, uh, of our relationship to the law. And then to, today, in, as well as last Sunday, he's into Romans chapter 8. And he's going to hit Romans 9, 10, and 11 and talk about God's plan for the nation of Israel and the sovereignty of God in salvation. And you know what I predict? That our church is going to sit there and go, you go, preacher. Man, mm, that's some good stuff. And those are actually extremely difficult doctrines. But I think for the most part, our church is going to say, that's good stuff. Preach the word. And then he's going to hit Romans 13. And it will be, for I think people in our church, one of the more difficult passages to swallow. Why is that? Why is that? When he gets to that section on our relationship to the government, my prediction is that that's when many of the people in our church will go, whoa, whoa, preacher. (laughs) Now, we get all this sovereignty of God and the plan of God and justification, all these other doctrines, but you're telling us that we have to submit to authority and submit to these governing authorities God's put in our life? Yep. In fact, that's the application of understanding all of those doctrines and understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet that, I think, will be one of the things that our church struggles with because of the culture that we live in. We'll see. We'll see if that's the case. All right? Okay, folks. Thank you for your time. We'll pick up in verse 5 in two weeks.